It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Yo, welcome back to the Fantasy Points Podcast. Got a special show today. My good friend, Dr. Edwin Porras, is on the show. Uh, before Edwin starts speaking, I want to give his, uh, his uh, podcast a little shout out here. Check it out. Injury Prone Podcast. It's no longer a fantasy football podcast. Edwin, you uh, gave some news on your feed this week saying that you're going to be interviewing like, you know, athletic trainers, doctors, all the smart people. Um, go listen and talk to interview um, all those guys. So yeah, make sure you check out Edwin's podcast. Not only is he doing fantasy stuff, he's going to be talking through uh, to some way smarter people than me about injuries and, and all of that cool stuff. So make sure you're subscribed to, to Edwin's podcast. Also, we were just talking about this. Make sure you're checking out Edwin's injury insights. This is something that we need to do better as a site is just marketing. I'm, I'm not great at it, uh, but Edwin is doing free injury insights on the site right now. Just go to fantasypoints.com uh, slash reports. Um, if you just go to the research and news tab at the top, Click the drop down, hit injury insights. He's providing insights on pretty much all these guys are going to be talking about today and all throughout the offseason. So that's a huge tool uh, that I look at every time he provides an update. And uh, I base a lot of a lot of my rankings off of Edwin's insights. So make sure you're checking those out too, free on fantasypoints.com. But Edwin, how's it going, man? How's uh how's Florida life treating you? How's baseball life treating you? Like, give us the update. Graham, that was a very nice intro. However, I was expecting a Coors Heavy Diesel ad read here at the top of the script. For all those of you who don't know, Graham Barfield's not only a yards creator extraordinaire, fantasy football genius, uh, kid prodigy from the age of like 17 writing fantasy football Stop articles. It. He also drinks Coors Heavy Banquet Beer. Now, it takes a special kind of person to drink those. I have no idea how he puts them down. There was one evening, the the, the evening that, that Graham and... and my wife and, and Graham's wife, we all got together the first evening we all met. Um, he, we brought, my wife and I brought an assortment of beers. We brought craft beers. We brought uh, local beers. We brought, you know, big box beers. We, we brought a ton, right? We, we brought quite a bit, Graham. We actually were like, wow, we probably brought too much. You so did. halfway <laughs> in the evening, I see Graham reach into his own little mini fridge, pull out a Coors Banquet. And I have never been more confused about all the options and, and him choosing beer spank. Well, but yes, Graham, I'm doing well. I just needed to give that little tidbit about you. Um, it was the most confusing aspect of your personality that I'd, I've ever seen. Other than that, I'm doing well. <laughs> well, as long as that's the most confusing bit, then I think we're off to a good start, dude. But no, listen, two things. Uh, you guys did bring a ton of beer, which we all hammered, and I needed to change it up. But also, real men drink Rocky Mountain Diesel. Like this, th- this is an unrefuted fact uh, that real men drink Rocky Mountain Diesel fuel. When did you start drinking this? At twelve? When did you start drinking this? Uh, it was ten. Uh, my mom. Ten years. Ah, yeah. yeah okay. Instead of milk, uh, once once I turned ten, my mom stopped giving me milk and just handed me course banquets. That's okay. That's what it was. Well, that makes a lot more sense now, considering everything I know about you. Sure. But I'm, I, I, I uh, we need to have another one of those evenings. We've been talking about getting back together, man. Like these yes. podcasts are fun. Because we're friends first, and I guess quote unquote coworkers, whatever you want to call it, second, and so these conversations go a lot more smoothly. Um, but I appreciate you pointing out all my work. Yeah, injury prone podcast. Uh, 
the tab over at, under Researchers News. I think we should push that a little bit more. I'm not sure too many people are aware of it, but it's basically a rip the injury version. We'll call it a ripoff of the the old you know Roto World or whatever NBC Sports Edge blurbs. Uh, it's just an injury version written by me. So that's something that I think has been pretty useful for people. In addition to everything else we have going on at Fantasy Points, which is just you know a ton of stuff we could go on for days and days. In terms of baseball, uh, yeah, I love it, man. This is uh, the life. Uh, other than living in Florida, which I'm not the biggest fan of, I, I love the job. So it makes yeah. it makes life a little easier. You know what's funny, too, is it's not funny. I don't want to say it that way. But what's interesting is I write about high ankles. I write about ACL. I write about all these different specific injuries. And within like the first month, we saw all of those, which for baseball are kind of obscure. We saw a high ankle. We saw an ACL. We saw some pretty obscure injuries. So I don't see, we don't see those often in the fear, if you're not in the athletic population. And so seeing them was kind of interesting to me because then all of a sudden my mind was like, oh yeah, man, now I got a little bit of experience. I can, I can put on the back of some of those injury fantasy related, fantasy related blurbs. So it's been fun, man. Well, now you have like both things bleeding into each other, which is, which is great. But every time I text you, you've become like a full on baseball guy. It's like, <laughs> you hated baseball so much when I first met you. A couple I times. didn't hate it, Graham. I didn't hate it. Oh no. I didn't understand you it. it. You, Listen. No, you, no, 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 no. Not only did you say you didn't understand it, you actively made fun of it. Don't, don't try to change anything. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. I, here's what I stand by. Baseball players and baseball fans are weird. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to back up from that. So any yeah. baseball, I'm baseball. I'm sorry. It's, it's true. Graham, you were a baseball player. Yeah. Now you write about fake football. That's you're different. You're, you're eccentric. It's okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's not yeah. a bad thing. It's just different. Baseball no. players are just different. I know. I fully admit that. And growing up around baseball and playing it all throughout middle and high school, between middle school teams, high school teams, travel teams, yeah, dude, baseball baseball guys are some of the weirdest, but uh, I don't know. Just I say they have the most hobbies too, right? Like hoopers, first of all, you look at hoopers. Hoopers want to hoop. Football players, they don't tend to have a lot of hobbies other than just like hanging out with other football players and playing football games. Yeah. Golfers hunt. Golfers, I mean golfers. Baseball players hunt. Baseball players uh, play golf. Well, baseball listen. players play video games like baseball players are, by the way, also I'm learning huge into fantasy as we saw uh, recently oh, yeah. with a few That's different a events going on in major league baseball. Yeah. They just have this wide array of, of hobbies. And now that I've sort of seen the inner workings, I, I can identify the things that I thought were weird. I can kind of see like, Oh, okay, well that makes a little bit more sense. Now, now that I know more about baseball yeah. players and baseball in general. Well, dude, listen, I mean, there's a shit ton of just standing around time when you play baseball, unless you're a pitcher, which I was, unless you're a pitcher, you're standing around 90% of the time, but that's a lot of time to like occupy your mind and start thinking about different things. So yeah, I I think that's a big part of it is there's just, it's just like a natural uh, crossover, I guess, between just like having empty time and like filling that with, with hobbies. But uh, speaking of empty time, nobody's listening to us for (laughs) our weird baseball guy takes. Let's talk some fake football. Um, Edwin, I'm just going to hit you up for like, I've got a big show sheet here. We're going to go through, you know, positions and just talk through some of these guys. Um, quarterback, luckily, is like the one spot where there's not a ton to talk about. So we'll, we'll knock that out first. And the first guy I want to ask you about is Jameis Winston. Uh, coming off an ACL tear, 
He also had some damage to his meniscus that came out like a month ago. I saw from a beat writer. I'm sorry, I'm not remembering uh, who the beat is, but Winston ACL plus meniscus. So that kind of complicates things a little bit. Jameis is always known for his weird workouts, man. His, his weird Instagram <laughs> workouts. I, I guess they're working for him. I saw one of them a couple weeks ago and he, he was moving around pretty, pretty well out there, even though it was one of those weird ones again. But um, where are we at with Jameis? Do we think a week one return is possible? Um, one final thing is like Jameis was pretty mobile last year and he's been sneakily mobile in his career, uh, moving, moving around quite a bit. Uh, where do where do we think Winston's at, and how do you think this injury affects his mobility? So I'm currently trying to pull up my own injury insights because I'm pretty sure that I had him coming back the first, or I'm sorry, the last week of July, okay. with the added component of the meniscus that does sort of push things back a little bit for him. But how, again, how does that push it back? Like when, right. when you have a, an ACL plus meniscus, what does that change for the rehab? Good question. So depending on the extent of the damage in the meniscus, well, I guess we have to back up really. The function of the meniscus is to create space between the shin bone and the leg bone. And when you have that space in between there, when that, that tissue, the meniscus gets damaged, you need to go in there and sort of fix it up well when the function is to create space and be a shock absorber the problem that you run into is that you can't put weight through it in order for it to heal when you can't put weight through it you end up delaying a rehab for depending on the the damage the extent of the damage for about a month because you just need to to sort of wait it out so it's like the entire you know backwards logic of he's ahead of schedule. These are the ones that you'd never look at and say they're ahead of schedule because in theory, compared to a regular ACL, an isolated ACL, they're already a month uh, behind behind the, the A-ball. So basically what you would look at for Winston is from a mid-August return to probably a mid-September return, I would anticipate this still would mean that he's ready for week one. I don't anticipate him missing more than a couple of games, especially since it was roughly around the time Joe Burrow had his ACL and Joe Burrow came back and Joe Burrow's was a mess, man. Joe Burrow's knee was not great. It came back uh, and he came back nine months, I think two weeks. This I think gives Jameis, especially since he's not super mobile, he should still be back in the first four weeks of the season. I want to say like worst case scenario. I still think he's back by week one. Great. Yeah, that's great. Great insight too on the meniscus thing. Yeah, he tore his ACL and hurt his knee on Halloween. So, yeah, that should be, you know, what, 9, 11 months removed? So, yeah, well, nine and a half. Nine and a half or so, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I that's think he's pretty, good. I think he'll be good to go. That's pretty much, like, right in the pocket. So, yeah, it's good news, man. I'm, I'm actually, like, sneakishly excited about the Saints this year. Like, you know, we saw Michael Thomas doing things on the football field yesterday <laughs> there was a videotape of him running at saints camp we'll see man i, I have no clue on michael thomas but uh chris Olave, um you know jarvis landry and so there's some there's some good weapons in the saints offense man and you know winston in a small sample was really efficient last year second epa uh, per attempt obviously a lot of that was fueled by touchdowns he had like that one big touchdown game he had five touchdowns against the packers had a four touchdown game against washington um, but still, I think there was enough to be excited about with Jameis. With the sure. Saints. And it makes me feel even better now that he's going to be back by week one. 
yeah, 10 be. months, 10 months from October 31st. If we say that, you know, that's the latest that we expect to return is 10 months from right. the injury, which again, got to give, give or take two to four weeks. Uh, that puts him at October or I'm sorry, August 31st is 10 months. So worst case scenario, he misses one to two games, but yeah, man, I actually just saw a report today. I know we might get to a Michael Thomas, still not an OTA, still not able to not, not great. I don't know what the hell is going on there. Not right, sure what's cool. going on. Yeah, I, I, Thomas is at the top of my list um, for wide receivers, so we'll, we'll talk through when we get there. But um, one final quarterback I want to ask you about is Matthew Stafford and this kind of like tricky elbow thing. I know next to nothing about this injury. This is why, why I'm bringing you on. So um, Stafford, I'm assuming, hurt this elbow in the middle of the season and just played through it, had to have some sort of cleanup surgery. Is it anything we should be concerned about? Did he have a cleanup surgery or did he have an injection? I, I do not know, honestly. I'm relatively certain he had an injection and I'm currently Googling that. Or maybe you can Google that for me as I talk about this. Yeah. So I think that right, yeah, he received an injection in his right elbow on May. Well, this is when it came out, May 23rd. Um, yeah. LA Times had it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd be a lot more concerned if it was, if it was sort of uh, – you know, surgery related. If it was like a debridement, you'd be more concerned. Okay. It sounds like it was something that was dragging on for a long time. Maybe something like everybody's gone tennis elbow before, right? Something chronic, like a tennis, a chronic tennis elbow, or potentially worst case scenario, something that's inside the joint, like some inflammation inside the joint, which you wouldn't love to hear that, but uh, you know, you don't, don't panic yet. This is something that has been drug on for a little bit. I know Stafford has had some elbow issues in the past typically you don't see that unless they're baseball players uh, i don't know what, what you think Graham, or if you've ever even analyzed quarterback mechanics i don't know what you think of his mechanics when he throws the ball yeah. but that might contribute to part of the reason why he's having some elbow issues late in his career that makes sense man because stafford is like he's a magician in terms of just his like arm angles that he gets to you know everybody loves patrick mahomes for all the right reasons mahomes is just He's a magician too, but you know, all those years in Detroit, Stafford was making the same no look throws, weird arm angles, uh, off plat platform throws. So I, there's definitely some sort of correlation there. Uh, he's now 34 years old. So it probably is some wear and tear. Just clicking through this article a little bit more. It, it was because of an issue and some discomfort he had throughout the season. So you're probably spot on. It was just you know, discomfort and probably nothing to sweat, but Graham, if this was Patrick Mahomes, everybody would be losing their minds. I know. Uh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of those. I was one of those that tweeted, if this was Patrick, that, you know, I've probably done that. And then it just got so old so quickly. And now it's slowly transforming into irony about if this was Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. But I just, can we please, can we please stop? Like, yeah, I, I have a whole soapbox about, about Matthew Stafford and, and how he basically, Graham, maybe you disagree. Matthew Stafford in terms of meeting and exceeding expectations based on where he came out of from high school has been fine. He has been a good above average, sometimes great quarterback. He does a good job when he's given the weapons around him. I just don't think that he deserves this incredible. He's gotten so many, he's got so much benefit of the doubt that it drives me nuts that to this point, Lamar Jackson, whose career is at least 10 years, you know, younger then Matthew Stafford has gotten way more criticism than Matthew Stafford has ever gotten. He's always gotten the benefit of the doubt and he's never had any type of criticism despite the fact that he was like a number one overall pick. He was like the best 
football player in Texas today or wherever he came out of high school. I have a whole soapbox about it, Graham. I'm sorry. I'm excited. Well, you I'm just got on your soapbox, but no, dude, Staff- the- Stafford's a weird one for me too, because like he was on just some absolutely terrible teams in Detroit. Um, but he's also like, you know, he's in his thirties and he's getting better. Like if you look at all of his efficiency metrics, he's getting better as he's getting older. You know, even in 19 and 20 of those last couple of years with Detroit, those teams were atrocious, but Stafford was better. Um, I think if you want to, if you want to pick a fight with Stafford, it was like, you know, maybe he like kind of flatlined from like 2012 to 2018, but man. That's a long time, Graham. That's a long time. We're looking at the last three years now, man. And he's. He's just gotten Listen, back. again, and I think when I make this argument, people think that I'm saying Stafford's a bad quarterback. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like he's gotten so much benefit of the doubt that at times is so annoying because no other quarterback that's been on the projection on the you know the projection that he was coming out of high school. Like the hype around Stafford was huge. And yeah. to date, he's I mean, objectively underperformed. Like somebody like LeBron James, which is hard, it's difficult to, you know compare him to probably the top two basketball player of all time. But like somebody like Stafford and where he came from in high school, you would just have expected a lot more that that's all I'm saying. And he's gotten too much benefit of the doubt. Well, he's a Super Bowl champion now. And I'll say this without a shadow of a doubt that there's no way that Rams team goes as deep as they did last year. with Jared. Without Cooper cup. I agree, Graham. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Let's just make this podcast even more high. Edwin. I could have made this hot take, this hot take debate you had with Scott yesterday. You should have had it with me. Oh God, I know. Yeah. Well, let's have it. Saquon Barkley. Um, <laughs> he's now a year removed from his knee injury. He's coming off a super fluky ankle injury. Uh, he stepped on a defender's foot uh, against Dallas in like week what was it week five? Um, I don't think that's that ankle injury should be held against him whatsoever. But it did impact his season last year. So uh, you and I have talked through text way too much about Saquon. So now I'm excited to actually talk to your face about Saquon, but um, yeah, where are we at? You're removed from the knee. Uh, maybe take us through the time machine and kind of recap what that knee injury was and why maybe last year wasn't the best time to bet on Barkley, like six, seven overall where he went in, in fantasy graphs. Ah, that is where we differ in opinion, my friend. Last year was the time to bet on Saquon Barkley. Really? I had a whole 2,000-word article on Saquon Barkley discussing all the historical literature and data and co- historical comparisons, even looking back at running backs in the past with an ACL and what their injury history looked like after the ACL. Everything we knew about Saquon Barkley last year after the ACL and partial meniscus was that he was teed up and lined up to smash. We don't like making generational arguments here at Fantasy Points. We don't like throwing that term around. We don't like making every rookie that comes out of the uh, draft, every wide receiver, their comparison is a combination of Jerry Rice and, you know, Lynn Swan or, you know, every running back is, what's that day, that old David Montgomery meme, right? Like, feet of Saquon, what was it? You know, the... (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, it like ridiculous. it's like the athleticism of Saquon, the vision of Le'Veon Bell, the the jukes of right. Like, give me, give me a break. Come on. Literally, the literally, you would have thought David Montgomery was created in a lab to play football. Like, we don't want to do that often. But quite literally, the only historical comparison for for Saquon Barkley coming off of his ACL is Adrian Peterson coming off of his. Yeah. The only athlete better by a percentage point 
at least according to that Spark Nike Spark rating, uh, in the last 10 years or whatever it's been, 10 to 15 years, better than Saquon Barkley is Adrian Peterson. And they're separated by like a single percentage point. All of that information, in addition to the 10 months, two weeks that he had to come back from the ACL, was exactly the reason why he was on a project a projectile to just absolutely smash. And I know he maybe didn't look great weeks one through four from like a, a true football perspective, but it didn't matter for fantasy. So even though they said they were going to quote unquote ease him in, ease him in he started with 48% of snaps in week one. And then in week two, he jumped to 84%. Week three, 86%. Week four, 89%. His targets weeks one through four went three, three, six, and seven. His fantasy points weeks one through four went 3.7, 8.9, 21.4, 29.6. Graham, you pointed this out in your stat pack article. Saquon Barkley, despite the fact that he played only 48% of snaps in week one, was the RB10 in PPR points after week four. Roll in, right? He was going to absolutely smash at his ADP. I was going to be a very rich man. I was going to retire, Graham. You guys were going to have to find a new injury analyst. I was going to be on an island somewhere. And then he somehow, some way, in the worst possible twist of fate, stepped on a defender's foot, rolled his ankle, had a lateral ankle sprain. Since then, you also noted this in your stat pack article. He played like 60% of the snaps. And I can't deny like you're 100% accurate. So I had, it's interesting you said this. I had the same thought. There were times where I didn't know who was running the ball, 26 or 28. I'd have to wait till they got up out of the, off the pile. And that's the worst part, right? That sucks. But that probably had to do with the lingering ankle injury and less to do with the ACL. But even if you're on board with the idea that this is year two removed from the ACL, and we know year two running backs can, and most athletes can just perform better. He's also a year removed from the ankle injury. And I can't predict a soft tissue injury. I can't predict him stepping on another defender's ankle or foot, but I can tell you that, and I'll, Oh, and you'll, you'll be the first one to know, Graham. Uh, You can vouch for me when I'm wrong. I will tell you, like I was wrong. That was incorrect process. This was my, where I failed. The process on Barkley last year was correct. We should have followed the historical data that we have in the literature in addition to the historical comps, knowing everything we know about Barkley, and we would have known that he could have smashed in fantasy football, and the process was correct. It just didn't pan out. This is year two to absolutely hunker down on Saquon Barkley and your shares of Saquon Barkley and and just shoot him to the moon, man. He's going to the third round right now. So the, I think I've been able to maybe convince you a little bit. Well, I don't know. I kind of want your thoughts. No, no, you have. I've, I've bumped Barkley up quite a bit just talking to you and talking through the whole process and stuff. And, you know, that ankle injury, you, you know, if you're holding that against him, like, just, just stop. Like that was such a fluke, true fluke injury. Um, my, I guess my biggest contention with Barkley remains is like, man, and this, this is something that, you know, you've, you've definitely changed my mind on, but like, you know, he's, t- he's 25, but he's still playing the most violent position on the field. Uh, he's getting hit more than any player on the field. Like, is there any, is there any uh, actual science behind, oh, the injuries are piling up for him? Or is that just bias? Now, there is something to the idea of now he's got this injury, now he's got that injury, and where they might be mentally and where how they might be feeling physically every night they go home. You see that with something super severe on the end of the spectrum of Todd Gurley. He had arthritis in his knee. There's no way around that, right? You can say he's had a couple of ankle injuries and you wonder how much juice he's got left because he's got to tape them up or whatever the case may be. But really, if you view injury-free mileage independently and isolated, why do running backs fall off the cliff? 
it's not so much because they get take hits and they get injured. It's more so the natural aging and declination and a new wave of faster, more agile, elite athletes coming into the field of positions. Typically you don't see, and maybe, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. You don't see running backs just usually just fall off the face of the planet. It tends, maybe we, we view it that way, but what you see usually is like an RB, a top five RB will fall to like overall RB 15. And oh my gosh, they're a bust. No, they're still a productive NFL running back. But I think that we sort of catastrophize these cliffs and these age cliffs for running backs when in reality it's a gradual decrease. We're seeing it with Derrick Henry right now. Derrick Henry's efficiency by all metrics has slowly started to decline, but he's still being propped up by his usage, right? So that's sort of to bring it back to full circle. I'm rambling now. Running backs typically don't fall off the cliff simply because they take hits and they take touches, they start to fall off the cliff because their athleticism peaks at the age of 25, 26. And then they start to decline because holy shit, they've been, they've been athletic since they were 18 years old, you know, some of the best athletes in the world. And once you don't have that, the defensive defensive lines are not getting any older and they're not getting any slower. So you have to take all that into account and recognize that ankle injuries and a two year removed from an ACL when he's shown that he could stay healthy should not be held against him. Okay. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, man. Um, you know, my I, my thing is just like, you know, Barkley, when he came out of college, I was actually just having this conversation with Scott a couple days ago. Like when he came out of college, Barkley was a true home run hitter, like incredible uh, percentage of his runs, you know, gained 10, 15, 20 yards at Penn State. But he was always like kind of a boomer bust player where he's going to take a lot of like negative plays just because he, he was that guy. Um Last two years, man, Saquon Barkley has generated a 10-plus yard gain on 5.4% of with his 181 carries. Edwin, that ranks 85th out of 86 running backs in that span with at least 100 carries. Only Joshua Kelly is worse. And, and Joshua Kelly's like, uh, he's like, should be in the U.S. <laughs> like, no offense to Joshua Kelly, but he really is not. He was not an NFL player when I watched him in college, and he's not been an NFL player. <laughs> Uh, in the actual what was that time frame? I'm sorry, say that time frame again. Yeah, last two years. So it was the ah. 20-ish carries he had in 2020 plus all of last year. And obviously the ankle injury was Selection bias. A big mm. part of it. No, I know. But I'm just I'm just saying, I mean, we, we have not seen Barkley be the home run hitter he once was. Of course, obviously, it's, it's probably a bad stat because the ankle injury was, was truly detrimental. And he, he admitted it. I mean, he said multiple times last year that he, he didn't feel right uh, coming off the ankle. So yeah, I'm with you though. I, I've, I've bumped Barkley way up in my rankings. I had him in like the mid thirties um, in May. And now I've got him pretty much right in line with ADP. Um, ahead of James Connor. I have him right below Nick Chubb and Javante Williams still though. You have an ADP in front of you, Graham? Uh, I do not, but I can't. If you were to pull up an ADP, and I was saying this the other day, let's say you're—I don't know—who's your top? Who's your top receiver? Justin Jefferson? No, Cooper Cup. Cooper. Ooh, ooh, spicy. Okay. Let's oh, say nice. you go. Let's say you go. Draft out of the six or seven hole. You go Cooper Cup, and then you go. Who's your top receiver in the second round? I mean, Cooper Cup won't be there at six, so Justin Jefferson probably. Dude, imagine going Justin Jefferson, maybe like Travis Kelsey, 
who's going to get all of the targets. Third round coming, bringing the bringing the third round up with Saquon Barkley, or yeah. Justin Jefferson and it's Tyreek Hill, and then Saquon Barkley. Like, imagine I'll, that. I'll, no, I'll give you the true nuts. I have a draft that I did in May. Uh, what, I out of one hundred one, I took JT. Obviously, came back, took Aaron Jones, and then Saquon. RB heavy. How's that testosterone, buddy? I know. I, I, I'm a total <laughs> RB boomer, I guess now. My 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 draft was just dripping in testosterone. <laughs> I like uh, it. I mean, if I like we're it. gonna if we're gonna do this, like, I mean, Barkley is an RB three attached to Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's wild. That is man. wild. That's in it's, best ball. Yeah, it's out there. Those starts are out there, man. Maybe not anymore. Uh, you know, I think I think the market is like wisely realized that running backs are going too late uh, in the first three rounds on underdog. I've not been able to do that start uh, since then, but yeah, it's wild. Um, all right. We spent too much time on Barkley. I got to ask you, this My is bad. arguably the, I, I think the bigger debate is JK Dobbins. Um, you and I had a whole conversation months ago about ACLs and just kind of like the differing nature of the injury itself, like the mechanism of the injury. And I want you to, to kind of explain to, to everyone what you kind of explained to me. So like JK Dobbins injury came from a hyperextension. He had his foot in the ground and he was hit and his knee hyperextended. He has an ACL injury. Plus I'm assuming significant nerve and ligament other ligament damage we, we can only assume the way you explained it to me is like running backs need way more power than receivers tight ends do and that makes their injury timelines a little bit trickier so Dobbins had a, a contact ACL injury uh, how does that differ from a non-contact ACL injury and as it pertains to running backs in particular why might that make Dobbins rehab a little bit harder. Yeah. So when you have a contact injury in theory, theoretically, you're going to have a lot more damage. Like that's what, that's, I think this, the starting point with where we want to be. And we mentioned earlier with Jameis Winston, that when you start behind the eight ball, if you have meniscus injury, if a meniscus repair, you're going to be a month behind rehab to begin with. So that's where the initial issue might begin. Now, when you are discussing power and what that means, right? All you need to know if you're out there, if you're not a physics major, it's easy to understand. Like power is just work over a period of time, right? Newtons over seconds or whatever the unit ends up being, right? You need to be able to go hard and you need to be able to go fast, quickly. Change your direction, power through even just like a unit, like a straight sprint through a defender, or you need to be able to create velocity, acceleration, deceleration. All of that is handled by the knee, the quads, and the hamstrings. They need to be coordinated perfectly. That gets knocked offline after surgery. It's extremely difficult to bring it back. And oftentimes, you don't really get it back until sometimes 12 to 15 months after surgery, which is why you see that outcome measures, which are basically return to play criteria, uh, tests that you do to make sure that a player can come back safely, is they go from, they basically plateau at 18 months. Right. So you can actually continue to make progress until 18 months. That has a lot to do with the brain shutting down the quad, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of nerdy stuff. But basically what you have is this athlete who might take a year to get back to where they are. So that's where the argument actually begins for, for JK Dobbins, even though he may, we don't know, may have had a 
pretty significant injury, maybe had some meniscus involvement. He's going to be well over a year by the time week one hits, and he's going to be potentially ready to start at that point. The other argument, and I would be, you know, I try to be as consistent as I possibly can with my with my FF hot takes, is this is like a mini Saquon Barkley comparison from last year. High draft capital, super long leash by the front office. We don't know how complicated it was of a surgery, but those are the three indicators of a running back who can come back and perform at a high level. If there's any gap that exists between the severity of the injury that Dobbins had and Saquon potentially had, it's the fact that Dobbins has had these extended two extra months that Barkley did not have. And so he'll have that time to create you know, rehab and condition that, that knee to get back to where it needs to be to create that force, to create that power. So even though Dobbins isn't quite Saquon in, in every aspect, the time might help bridge the gap to the point where Dobbins could have a pretty decent year and exceed expectations where I ask your opinion here, Graham is like, but what does that mean? Like how much volume is he going to see? How much volume is Lamar Jackson going to take away? And just how, you know, how fast is that offense even going to be paced? Yeah. The one thing I'll say about Dobbins and just overall confidence in him is like the Ravens, ran out of running backs last year and they have not been in a hurry to pr- to bring really anybody in. I mean, they brought, you know, they, they drafted Tyler Beatty late uh, in the sixth round. You can't really count on six round running backs, man. I mean, the hit rate on those guys is like about the same as a UDFA undrafted free agent. And they brought in dusty ass Mike Davis. Um, so, I mean, Tyler Beatty is remember Mike Davis. A, huh? I said, remember Mike Davis. Well, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna be on this, uh, this camp roster at least. But I mean, that, that's the one thing that I keep coming back to is like, you know, the Ravens are really, really sharp organization, truly sharp. And they've not gone out of their way to really bring any insurance in for Dobbins. And I I think that's probably a good sign. Um, the, I guess, I guess for fantasy, the, the decision you have to make with Dobbins this year is like, what, what's your roster construction look like? Because if you're going to go receiver heavy early Dobbins in the fourth or fifth round, is it a fantastic upside bet? But I mean, if you've already got two backs on your roster and you're staring down the barrel of like Tara McLaurin, Amari Cooper, Mike Williams, Cortland Sutton, uh, taking a little deeper Brandon cooks versus Dobbins, then that, you know, that equation uh, changes because Dobbins is now going in the dead zone. He's, you know, he's slipped from when I started doing the best ball on May 1st after the draft, it was like 45 overall ADP. Now it's doubled to like, not double, but uh, gone up by 10, 12 spots, 55, 56 ADP. He's going in the same range as like Travis Etienne, who I want, I want to talk to you about. I think Travis Etienne is one of the most fascinating uh, bits of, or players to try to analyze in that fifth round because the upside man is super clear to me. James Robinson is hurt. They really don't have much behind ETN to begin with. And this team still desperately needs playmakers in the past game. Look, I, I think Chris Kirk, Christian Kirk is, is actually a, you know, he got overpaid. Sure. But he was a really, really smart pickup for this team. He was an explosive element out of the slot for the Cardinals last year. And I, I think he can provide something similar for the Jags. That being said, man, ETN is still a, a game changer in the past game. 
I have found myself bumping up ETN like daily in my rankings. Um, we've heard nothing but good news out of OTAs. Where should he be at coming off the Jones fracture? And, and by week one, like, is it truly just like a mental thing with him? Like, will his body truly be back to 100% by then? No, so I think you got to look at this in a couple of different ways. And the first way that I think we should view it is just the natural. There are two articles out there that track the natural progression of NFL players after a list rank injury. And both of them show a negative drop in production, drop in production year one after this list rank injury. So that's the first thing you have to look at and you cannot ignore. Like that's not simply not something you can ignore. The second thing is more. Is he going to have hardware in his foot, which it probably sounds like he's going to uh, have that hardware in his foot to play through? And if you remember correctly, Marquise Brown in 2020, I want to say it was, he played with that same hardware from Alyssa Frank in his foot, and he was on the injury report seven times with foot or ankle. And we know that his, I mean, he seemed to be a little limited in that, that year in terms yeah. of his explosiveness. So you have to take that into consideration. And then the more indirect factors that are more football related, functionally related, you have to remember too, he's still a rookie and he hasn't played football in at this point, what, two years, right? So I think that he's a guy that if he falls to me as my RB2, I'm pretty stoked. Like I'm pretty excited. If I take him in the late rounds, I'm sorry, not the late rounds, like the middle rounds, and he's my first running back. I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah. So I think that in in other words, I view it as he is to me potentially high end RB two with RB one upside. And I'm happy if I get it, but I'm not necessarily going to expect it from him. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, the thing with ETN and unlike Marquise Brown is, you know, Hollywood didn't get a year off. Right. Or he had that injury his last year of college. Am I, am he did. I, am I right about yeah, that? last yeah. year of college. Yeah. So yeah, he didn't get the year off. Um, my thing is like, man, I can make an easy upside case that ETN is like discount DeAndre Swift. Um, four, That's five, six targets a game, 10, 12 carries a game on a pretty bad team. I don't really care that the game script's going to be bad because I want, I want, I arguably want it to be bad because I want ETN to catch the ball more. Jags right. have to throw more, et cetera, et cetera. So. I don't know, man. I, I'm starting to not really see much downside in ETN at all in the, in the fifth round. And That's fair. That's fair. It, I think the fifth down, round is fair. Yeah, it, and it comes down to the same thing I just said with Dobbins, like, you know, where you're at with roster construction. You know, if you started with, you know, just one running back in the first two rounds and you have, you know, one running back, three receivers, man, like ETN is your two is, is pretty nice. Even ETN as a, as a three is real nice too. So I think by the – I think by August – maybe mid-August, I think ETN's going to be a third-round pick. I think everybody's going to be on board, and the time to buy ETN is, is now. Um, all right, a couple more running backs I wanted to get to before we talk through receivers. Um, the big one is Cam Akers. Uh, obviously, you know, he came back six and a half, seven months removed from an Achilles injury. Pretty much made medical history based on everything that you've told me. Um, you know, now he's going to have nine months or so, eight months to, to try to get some of his burst and explosion back. You know, I was talking about, with, uh, talking about this on the, the last two bar show with Scott, like, you know, yeah, sure. On the one hand, acres averaged 2.57 yards per carry in the playoffs last year. 
which obviously wasn't great. He faced two really tough defenses, uh, run defenses in the Bucks and the Niners in that span too, which I think I think says something. But you know what the bigger point? The bigger point is Sean McVay made him his workhorse back. Six, seven months removed from an Achilles tear with basically no practice time, obviously no game time. And he got 75% of the carries in the playoffs. Meanwhile, Sony Michelle was running pretty well last year uh, to close out the season. I mean, Michelle was the bell cow to close out the year. You know, man, like that's a lot of confidence. In the middle of a Super Bowl run, you're going to give Akers the majority of the carries. Um, so all this is teeing me up for like, you know, Akers is now slipping. It's been the complete opposite of, of ETN. Akers is now like a f- locked in fourth round pick. I have him ranked like 15 spots ahead of ADP just because I feel really strongly about his workload being. Maybe so you have him in the third. So you have him in the third. Yeah, I have him in the okay. third. Is that stupid? Is the, is the Achilles truly a death knell? And where is Akers at in terms of his recovery based on all of your research? So a lot of good points have been made about Akers. And you bring up a lot of things that are definitely important that I don't necessarily think should be discounted. I also think that, again, my job as an injury analyst is to give context and paint the floor. And if I had to sum it up in a question to anybody who would be super backing Cam Akers to an absolute, you know, into the ground, pounding the table for them. I would simply ask, what if what we saw in the playoffs is just him now? Because there's plenty of data, Graham. By the way, by the way, not to cut you off, man. What if what we saw from Saquon is him now? Maybe he's not the same thing. Ah, but you bring up a good point. And this is the difference between uh, an Achilles and an ACL. An Achilles, physiologically... For, and for those of you out there who might not be aware, physiologically, an Achilles is connected to the muscle that creates power for the foot and ankle. When you sever that connection, even if you repair it, it's never the same again. The tendon needs to trans- transduce force, which in turn creates power. Once you have that Achilles severed, it is not the same thing as replacing an ACL, which is why those two injuries are so different, which is why Achilles hasn't been able to catch up to where we are with ACLs. So, even though it's a fair question, I think that's I think that's apples to oranges. So when it comes to the rest of what we can expect for him, I do think that the floor is like, yeah, this is acres. And I looked at some of the things that uh, I actually actually asked you. I think I asked you at one point, like, what would you look at in terms of efficiency numbers to to indicate maybe what would be the most reflective of an individual running back in the playoffs for him? And so in the playoffs, in, among running backs with at least twenty attempts. He was last in EPA for attempt, last in points above replacement, third to last in expected points added above average, third to last in plays, I'm sorry, third to last in points earned per play. So I know none of the Rams running backs were good, and I know he had a handful of runs called back, but I, that's a grim picture to me, man. That's a grim picture. And is it a reflection of just that this is who he is, or is it a reflection of he came back too soon? I don't know the answer. What I do know is that there's plenty of data to indicate that this could just be him, or this is just a simply a step below where he'll get to, and he can't quite get back to where he was in the past. It doesn't mean that he can't be a, a good NFL contributor. It doesn't mean that he can't get a good amount of volume and handle it. But all I know is that from a strictly objective historical standpoint, using data and the concepts of physiology him coming back from an Achilles tear and hoping for him to get to a top 10 status 
is more conjecture and hope and ceiling and best case scenario thinking than it is, in my opinion, logical thinking. But that's still to say that in the third round, I'm not necessarily out on him. I think the third round is totally fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't even have to pay a third round pick, man. It's it's fourth round now uh, on underdog. Um, obviously, underdog is a lot more receiver heavy than NFFC and even the FFPC. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my thing is that the whole discourse around acres to me is just kind of come at from a negative angle. Like, why is everybody so attached to the, to the negative angle? Oh my God, Cam Akers popped his Achilles and he came back six months later and averaged two and a half yards per carry. What? Like, the people are saying like, the, oh my God, that's unbelievable. Like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, no kidding, his, you know, missed tackle numbers weren't great. Um, they weren't terrible for what it's worth. He forced more missed tackles on his carries than Sony Michelle did in the playoffs. He actually forced four times more missed tackles on his carries than Sony Michelle did in the playoffs. Nobody focuses on that. Nobody also focuses on that. He had two huge fumbles in that Tampa Bay game and Sean McVay kept going back to him. The Rams love Cam Akers. Cam Akers clearly put the work in to get back within six, seven months and, and be a, you know, seriously a part of medical history. All of that being said, I, you know, I, I've been wanting to get your opinion and, to, and talk to you about, you know, Achilles and Akers and stuff, but like, to me, man, the, the, the whole thing is like, I think people have just been way too attached to the negatives with Akers and not just looking at it like purely from a standpoint of the Rams love him, gave him a workhorse role when he came back. And we shouldn't be that surprised that he didn't look amazing. I, I watched all 68 of his carries. Of course, the burst explosion. Damn, couldn't give him one more. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Would have been real nice. But no, I, I, I watched all of his carries. And yeah, of course, the burst and explosiveness wasn't what it was at Florida State, but we should have never expected that. That's not that's not a bar we should have expected him to cross yet. Fair. Absolutely. I guess, I guess that's my, my, my whole question then boils down to, is there any chance he gets back to that, to that level we saw at Florida State? Because Cam Akers is one of the most elusive running backs to come out of college recently. Is there a chance? Yes, there's a chance. I said initially when this happened before he made his incredible comeback that I think in a best case scenario world, Cam Akers is 10 to 15% worse than we thought he would be coming out of Florida State. And I still kind of stand by that. If you look at lower caliber running backs, Deonta Foreman, Marlon Mack, guys like that, I think the closest comp is like uh, Michael LaShorn, I think is his name from back in the day. Um, unfortunately, even he, like he fizzled out. Right. And that was before we were where we were with medical technology, obviously. And the same thing can go for Marlon Mack. And now you have James Robinson, right? So really Graham, I think I don't want to discourage anybody or paint worst case scenario only, but the reality is for me, when I look at acres, the, there are more ways for this to go awry then there are paths for him to be successful and smash, right? Because we're looking at values to smash. I think in a probably realistic world, it's somewhere in the middle. And I, he, I think he ends up going in the third and he performs like a third round pick. Yeah. Like ultimately that's probably where he ends up. Now where he goes from there in terms of his career, uh, career sort of arc, I'm not entirely sure, but there's just, there's no objective evidence that we've seen yet that he can produce numbers that we want him to produce in order to be an absolute smash. I, I, and I know, and I hear what you're saying, and I always appreciate, you always come at it from like a data 
in logic side first and, and no bias. My one pushback though is we've never seen a player like Akers before. All the other running backs that have popped their Achilles were either, you know, they're the Deontay Foreman's. Deontay Foreman is probably the best prospect wise. He was probably the best out of the the group of backs that have popped their Achilles. Um, yeah, now we got another one with James Robinson, but. Uh, all right, we've already spent a lot of time talking through backs. Uh, the one last one that we can hit on real quick before we talk to the receivers, Edwin, is is Derrick Henry. Got to ask you about him. Uh, coming off the foot injury, he's going to be 29. Um, you know, obviously he came back, but, you know, again, it was one of those things just like with Cam that he just didn't look right. Um, is he going to be playing with the brace? Do we know this yet? That I don't know, and I don't necessarily anticipate. Okay. I don't okay. think so. All right. Well, yeah, he, he ended up missing um, basically what amounted to three months. I remember talking about it at the time, and you basically said that was like the exact timeline. Um, maybe the Titans pushed it a, a skosh. But, um, yeah, was that the right timeline? And, and, you know, obviously Henry has a ton of touches on his odometer. He's going to be 29 at the end of the year. Um, where's, where's Henry at in terms of timeline? And, you know, should we anticipate – generally speaking him to be back to 100 percent by week one yeah i mean it's hard to tell they did bring him back at the 10 week mark that's exactly when you wanted i think that like maybe like 10 days they pushed it there's essentially a huge increase in re-injury rates if you wait before the 10 week mark and luckily the titans did wait until the 10 week mark brought him back but i think that one of the big the biggest dissonance graham it for people, and I think that I'm starting to sort of recognize this to be able to highlight it a little bit more too, or maybe I'm just being able to communicate a little bit better. It's one thing for a guy to miss two weeks because of a hamstring. It's another thing for a guy to miss 10 weeks because of a fracture, to miss seven months because of an Achilles, to miss 12 months because of an ACL. Like there's a difference between return to play and return to performance. And there's an entire world that shameless plug again for my podcast, I'm trying to dive deeper into. What are the factors, characteristics, and personality traits even of players who can come back and perform, not just come back to play? And when you look at Derrick Henry, he's a freak of nature, one-of-a-kind athlete, and looked totally human when he came back. So I don't think that him coming back and, and his performance when he came back is necessarily fair, you know, a fair um, a- assessment of what he'll be next year, but... I do think that, like I mentioned before, his efficiency is coming down every year. Uh, He's getting older simply. Again, he's aging, right? Everybody, as they age, that tends to happen. Uh, You, honestly, I think would be a better judge of where you project to see Derrick Henry with the understanding that, you know, what is his touchdown look going to look like? What is his usage going to look like? And overall, how much are the Titans going to continue to use him? Because... When I look at a 29-year-old freak athlete, I can say, yeah, maybe he can pull it out for another year or two. But if you are hanging on to him in dynasty formats, I think it's time to let go. Yeah, yeah. This is the time to sell, uh, Henry, if you still can, in dynasty. For what it's worth, full disclosure, I am lowest on the staff on Derrick Henry in, in, in best ball rankings. I have, I have, a, have him at 10. Um, I, I guess my thing is, man, is like, you know, we're getting an injury discount on Dalvin Cook and all of his chronic shoulder issues. We're getting an injury discount on Saquon Barkley. We're getting a discount on Cam Akers. Uh, we're not getting no on, discount on Henry <laughs> on Henry. And I get it. You know, like I get it. I, Henry was, was honestly one of my biggest positions in the last two years. Like I, for years faded this guy. And then, 
the light bulb came on in 2020. And I was like, hey, I actually like winning money. Uh, I'm going to start drafting Derrick Henry more. And that worked out well. 2020, <laughs> it worked out real well. It worked out real well last year, too, until he got hurt. Um, this year, man, it's like, I feel like we should be getting a bigger discount on, on Henry because we're getting a big discount on some of these other backs who are younger and Barkley and Akers. And Barkley is a one-of-one one athlete as well. Um, man, I, you know, I've had a number of – I've done – because I'm a sick puppy, Edwin, you know me. I feel comfortable <laughs> with you. I've already done like 50 best ball drives. Absolutely. I have not taken Derrick Henry at ADP once. I've been taking Najee Harris. I've been taking Austin Eckler. I've been taking the receivers, Jefferson Chase. Um, I, I think there's a lot more risk in Henry's profile beyond the foot issue. This Titans team, man, they're lucky. They're lucky in there in the AFC South and get to play the Jags and the Texans twice a year. Because you know, man, don't you dare disrespect the name of the Jaguars franchise. Oh, I, I can because I, I've been. You are a, unfortunately a Jaguars fan. Yeah, yeah, I've had the unfortunate misery of being a Jags fan my entire life. But you don't say that enough. You don't say that publicly enough, Graham. Uh, well, why, I can't imagine I, why. Not to be proud about. <laughs> Well, actually, funny side story. I was wearing an old Jag sweatshirt into an elevator. Uh, I was going to meet up with a buddy, and I got in the elevator. And the guy in the back, it was just me and this other guy. He goes, oh, man, you're a Jags fan. I go, yeah. And he goes, nothing, nothing says nothing back. He goes, you poor bastard. And I just started dying laughing. I was like, yeah, I appreciate that, buddy. He's like, you got, you got some nerve coming in here with that and, and supporting that team. I was like, dude, you got to. But, um, yeah, no, the, the Titans this year might – be a lot worse than we were expecting in previous years. Derrick Henry's uh, extremely game script dependent averages like 26, 27 fantasy points per game and wins. It dips to like 12, 13 fantasy points per game and losses. Uh, Titans win total is a lot lower this year than we've seen in previous years. They've been like a 9, 10, 11 win total team. They're now down around eight and a half. Uh, so the markets are expecting fewer wins for the Titans this year. I still think they'll be only if they, you know, borderline for AFC wildcard teams, but you know, they're one injury away from Traylon Burks from having literally dust at wide receiver. Um, I don't know. I, I think the wheels could fall off for this Titans team this year. Yeah, I agree. That I think the really wheels could fall off for the Titans. I think the wheels could fall off for Derrick Henry. And I know this, I've just been sort of data driven, objective driven. It's really hard to project for a, a I hate using the word generational, because he really is like just one of a kind running back like Derrick Henry. It's hard to project their future moving forward because there's not a lot of precedent to go off of. But I'll just say that the foot injury doesn't make me feel any better about his usage. Uh, that definitely, and I don't necessarily advocate for this, and you know this, but like I don't necessarily think that usage is, I think usage is overblown. But I do think that for a guy of his size, his frame, that that foot injury definitely could have been contributing uh, his volume, his usage could have contributed to that. And if it happened now at 28, you know, there's no reason why something else can't start to fall off. Like, I just think he's the riskiest of the guys going in the top 10. You flip a coin, um, and I'm probably leaning away from Henry in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad we see eye to eye on that. Um, let's talk through some receivers here because uh, we're getting close to an hour. Um Two really big ones. First one, I'll start with Michael Thomas. You kind of alluded to it earlier. I truly have no idea what to do with Michael Thomas. Um, honestly, I, I, I've had him ranked at ADP all summer. I've taken him a few times as like as a three or a four uh, if I do like a receiver heavy build and I kind of can insulate myself from, from Thomas maybe missing some more time. 
where where the hell are we at? I'll, it's an open-ended question. It's serious. Where, where are we at? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I really have no idea. I don't know if he had, you know, this is the only logical explanation without a setback that I could feasibly see happening. He had the high ankle type injury. They go in, they put hardware, they fixed it and they repaired it. He opted to take this, the hardware out. So he had another procedure recently because he's had, when was the last time he even played a game? Was it 2020? Um, yeah, he did not play at all last year. He didn't play at all last year. So at this point he's had almost two years to have this hardware taken out if that was his choice. So the, in reality, the best case scenario, since they're saying that he's still rehabbing Graham, he is still rehabbing. I cannot wrap my head around that unless wow. he chose opted to have the hardware taken out after the fracture was healed. Cause then that is a whole other rehab. The worst case scenario is he's now got some sort of systemic or not systemic. I'm sorry. Some local inflammation i.e. arthritis in the foot from the specific injury and from years of playing football and pounding and grounding, or he had a setback where he had a refracture or something happened where it did, just didn't hold, or he didn't get enough range of motion. And so he needed to go back. I, there are more negative ways to paint this picture than there yeah. are positive ways. I like, there's no other way to say it. Like, nobody should still be rehabbing the same ankle injury from two years. If it was a straightforward injury. Yeah. So, all of that to say, Graham, <laughs> if Michael Thomas falls to me in like the eighth and ninth round, I'm probably going to take him. Yeah. It's just yeah, league winning upside. That's fair. I mean, on underdog, uh, he's going sixth round pretty consistently. It was fifth round. It slid back to the sixth, and he's pretty much held uh, steady in the sixth. Um, just for some background on the timeline. So he hurt his ankle in week one of 2020, uh, tried to play through it. Um, well, actually, he didn't play through it. He, he, was on IR for six weeks, then he came back. And I'm assuming re-injured or tweaked his ankle, ended up on IR, came back for the playoffs, uh, had a good game against the Bears, and then did nothing against the Bucks. And that was the last time we saw him was, was that Bucks playoff game, the divisional round of 2020. So the timeline was this. like, So he came back, needed an additional surgery, but he put it off until June. I don't know if you remember this. So he put it off until June of 2021. Sean Payton came out and said, look, there's kind of like nothing he could do. He just had a setback. Um, there's nothing Thomas could have done. And that that setback, whenever he had it, in the time frame of January 2021 to June 2021, we don't know what happened. But he had an additional surgery that he really couldn't have done much behind. And, and yeah, man, like the fact he's still rehabbing, the fact that the Saints traded up for Chris Olave, the fact that they just went out and got Jarvis Landry, I don't know. I, I've got six humongous red flags around Michael Thomas. I, I've, like I said, I've sniffed around a few times when the build's right. If I've got you know three really good wideouts, I feel great about, and I can kind of insulate it. But man, I can't take Thomas as my two or three on. No, on no that. way, no effing way. I, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Thomas ends up by August. I think his ADP is going to keep slipping. One ADP I'm really interested in. I'm really interested to hear your opinion on is Chris Godwin. Um, Godwin tore his ACL. I saw there, there was a report out there that he had some MCL damage too. I, wa I wanted to clear this up with you too. He had an ACL plus MCL. I heard from Adam Kaplan that it was a clean ACL, and that's a big part of the reason why the Bucks, you know, obviously signed him to a new three-year deal, or three-year extension, I should say. Um, what – to your knowledge, what was Goblin's injury? And, and you know, he had it uh, week 
15, I want to say, last year. So he's going to be right on that like nine to 10 month uh, return to play. Uh, yes. Where we have problem here? So as probably, both things are probably true. When you have an ACL, oftentimes the MCL is implicated. Okay. And what matters more is the is was there meniscus damage? We have some data to show that collateral ligaments, so the LCL and the MCL, the two ligaments on the inside and the outside of the knee, don't actually impact return to play or return to performance in any meaningful way. And so, wow. oftentimes you also don't repair them; you let them scar down on their own and they heal. The MCL has a really incredible way to heal itself. That's part of the reason why they wait for some guys to have surgery until that is achieved, until that's done. And so the reality is it's probably reported as an isolated ACL repair, but it might not have necessarily been an isolated ACL injury. So that's probably the the confusion or the the thing that slipped between the cracks. I have for Chris Godwin a projected return time of October 3rd. That is because there's some vague reporting that he had surgery in those really vague, like mid-February is what I was told. And so, or what I read, not told. I'm not a reporter. I'm not Adam Kaplan. Uh, so that is where we're at with, with Godwin. I think here's the thing with ACLs and like long-term injuries, man, there's so much advantage to be taken. There's so much ground to be gained from the fantasy player that just pays attention to timelines, listens to people who have those timelines. If you know, Godwin's not back till October, you can push Godwin down your board. If you know, Michael Thomas is going to be, you know, maybe not even play again. Who knows? You can push him down your board. If you know that, you know, Dobbins should be ready by week one. If you know, like I've been saying for several weeks now, Jamison Williams isn't going to be back by week one. You can push him down your board. There's so much cumulative ground to be gained just by paying attention to timelines. And I think Godwin falls into that bucket. It's unlikely to see Godwin back before October. And it's unlikely to see him back to 100%, you know, until November. Doesn't mean that he can't contribute and give you some spike weeks every now and then, but he's probably not going to feel like his foot, his feet are under him until the end of October. Okay. So uh, there's two things I want to follow up with you on uh, in that response. The first, the first bit is he actually had surgery on January 3rd. He tore his ACL on December the 26th. So he had no meniscus damage, which is good. Like you were mentioning that complicates things. So he had pretty quick turnaround from surgery. So from January 3rd to, you know, obviously week one will be nine months. Um, if you're saying October 3rd is the target date. So it'd be like what week three, week four, week five. You're sure about that? Are you sure about that? Am I looking at somebody else? Yeah, I, I, I'm seeing a tweet from Rap Sheet. For what it's worth, not the dunk on Rap Sheet, but he's been wrong uh, quite a bit. But he's, I mean, for something, a big prominent star getting surgery, I don't think he'd be wrong about this. Ah, uh, uh, okay. I might be, you know what I might be doing, and this is totally on me. I think I'm confusing a couple of different <laughs> guys that are have had yeah. uh, surgery. Okay, so. For what it's worth. For what it's worth, dude, it's impressive that you don't, you can keep everything straight. Because if I were you, I would be screwing up everybody's timeline left and right. So <laughs> no, I mean, I just did it. No, I, I actually think that I projected from that day anyway. Like it's, it's still okay. going to be that date. Like it would still be that October date. So I would just had it. I, I think I said it wrong. I think I yeah, said no, it wrong, good. but yeah. yeah no, but yeah, good. October so, is where we're thinking. Yeah. If. Uh, sorry, I just clicked on the wrong thing. So if we're thinking October and he only misses four or five games, um, Chris Godwin's a smash in the fifth round. Like, Fair. in my opinion, total smash yeah. in the fifth round. 
I've only got a stat from you from my stat pack. Um, okay, let's do it. 13 games over the last three years, that uh, two years, that Chris Godwin has played without Antonio Brown. We've got a 13-game sample size. In that 13-game sample size, he has averaged 18.9 fantasy points per game. That would have made Godwin the wide receiver Ooh. six over Jamar Chase. Uh, without Brown, Godwin's targets increased by 21%. Um, and last year before injury, Godwin was the third most efficient receiver from the slot in terms of yards per route run. Number one was Cooper Cup, big shock. Number two was Tyler Boyd, kind of a shock. Three was Godwin. Um, you take Antonio Brown out of that offense, man, I, I think Chris Godwin has wide, like top six, top seven wide receiver upside, and you're getting him in the fifth round. I don't even really care if he misses three or four games. Um, I want that upside. Um, so you're definitely making me feel even better about Godwin. Um, let's talk through another ACL tear at receiver, Michael Gallup. Um, Kaplan said that this was an ACL plus another issue, so maybe it was the meniscus. Uh, I guess we would know if he delayed the surgery. Um, but, yeah, Michael Gallup is you know going in the 10th round now. No Amari Cooper. Uh, the only other real depth options that the Cowboys have right now is Jalen Tolbert, uh, third-round pick, and James Washington, who they picked up off the street from Pittsburgh. Uh, so, yeah, they are really heavily relying on, on Gallup to get back to form quickly. Um, Gallup hurt his knee uh, earlier than, uh, than Gallup. I think it was a little later. I actually have that he has surgery in, quote, early February is all I could find. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he actually, it was later. Um, it was January uh, 2nd. So, yeah, Michael Gallup, 10th, 11th round ADP. Um, you know, you're getting a pretty big discount on a player that the Cowboys are obviously relying he- gonna They're going to be relying heavily on. Absolutely. And, you know, we probably are looking at mid, early to mid-November till we see Gallup. So, I mean, I'm not entirely sure where you would project him with that, Graham, but he's definitely a guy that if he had surgery in, in early February, we're not going to see him until November at the soonest. Yeah. Yeah. So that puts us week eight, week nine, probably maybe week 10. So mid season a ship. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've not taken Gallup hardly at all. I've just been taking CD lamb a bunch in the second, um, stacking him up with Dak. Uh, is CD lamb a good pick? This is off topic. Is he a good pick this year? He's getting really gassed up on underdog. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if Gallup's going to miss 10 weeks, let's say, let's say conservatively he misses eight. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, the only other guy getting targets there is Dalton Schultz, who I also, I also love. I've been taking. I was high on Dalton Schultz last year, bro. Yes. I got, I love that. I love yeah. Dalton Schultz. He's okay. in contract disputes now. He's big time. Do you see that? Yeah. Well, he got tagged and he doesn't want to make like $18 million this year or whatever. Uh, obviously he wants it. I'm being what a way to phrase that. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm so imagine saying, going, I'm being facetious. Imagine going Graham. This is, I, this is my dream right now. Imagine going Justin Jefferson, CD lamb, Saquon. I don't know. Mark Andrews or another nah, top, and, top four and, receiver. Andrews is a top is a second round pick this year. Okay. 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 Uh, another, I don't Debo. I don't know who's, who's going to, he's probably going earlier too. Debo's and second. then bringing up the rear of that, those top five picks with the JK Dobbins. <sighs> yeah. Chef's kiss. I would do that. Yeah. I would do that in a heartbeat. 
Yes. No, I, I've been taking, I don't have CD Lamb above ADP, but I've been definitely taking him right at ADP. Like, um, I don't think he has the same upside as Cup and Jefferson and even Chase maybe to a certain extent, but like, yeah, he could finish as the wide receiver three or four um, for sure. And he's not being drafted there. Uh, and I think the Cowboys know he's going to be a superstar. Um, and that's why that's why they're relying on him, um, even with Gallup's injury. Uh, all right, a couple more things I want to talk through here, and I'll, I'll get you out of here. Um, did you ever do that podcast on T. Higgins? Because T. Higgins had shoulder surgery this offseason. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. No, it's okay. Uh, he had shoulder surgery this offseason that's gone under the radar. Joe and I were talking about this, and it was, sounds like it was like the same surgery that Alshon Jeffrey had, uh, whatever it was, three or four years ago now. Uh, is it something we should be concerned about? Because Higgins is like a locked in early third round pick right now. It's not, not a concern because he's not a guarantee to be back by week one. Uh, so I actually have the specific injury he had back in September of 21 and he landed, I tweeted, it's a tough angle. Higgins landed with his left arm outstretched typically results in being jammed backwards towards the back of the joint capsule. And essentially I, that's, I think what ended up happening is he had that shoulder that was jammed towards the back of the capsule itself. And yeah. he had a little bit of tissue damage and potentially some instability where it was sort of sliding in and out or subluxing. And what they did, what my, I'm assuming again, is they went in, they, they sutured it down, they cleaned it up, they tied it down and they made it a little tighter. That is typically a four to five month recovery. And we know that he had surgery in March. He's playing it, cutting it really close. Like I'd be surprised if he's at, like, I don't even know if the Bengals have had OTAs yet or where they're at. Um, but I would be, I would be shocked if he wasn't back by week one. Cause that's through September, but I think he's definitely going to be playing it pretty close. Cause what is that August? Like March to August is five months. And I think if he has any complications, you can push it to six and then you're yeah. really starting to, to get, you know, be in the danger zone. But I don't think this is any reason to push him up or down quite yet. But if he's not out in camp, if he's not out there by August, then I'm like a little nervous. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, yeah, Higgins has not been at OTAs. No surprise there. And you know what, Evelyn? Coaches never lie. They never lie. We, we've never, we, coaches have never gone to the podium and told a lie about an injury rehab once. Never. Especially happened. Zach Taylor. Especially yeah. never Zach Taylor. Oh, God, no. He would never, never that guy. But Zach Taylor did say Tegan should be back by training camp. Uh, obviously, we're taking that with a humongous grain of salt. But yeah, yeah, real interesting. It should be pretty close, like you were mentioning. Um, and like I said, it's it's been interesting. There's been no like, <laughs> I've not seen fantasy Twitter talk about this at all. And he's had this pretty significant injury he played through as well. Um, all right, uh, two tight ends I want to ask you about real quick. Robert Tunyon Funyon coming in off his. <laughs> uh, I like you, that. You wrote about him and your injury insights that you think it should be pretty clean and he should be back by week one. Yeah, I think he's ready to go. Cool. I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard, Graham. This, this receiver I've been tracking for a while, and I'm not sure he, he's gone under the radar a little bit over the last few seasons, but he's had sneakily uh, a couple of thousand yard seasons. His name is Devonte Adams. Yes. So he sneakily has been uh, kind of a target of mine in fantasy football drafts in draft okay. rooms and over the last several years. And um, this didn't get a lot of headlines, but he was traded to the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh my, oh right. my God. Yes. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. And so if you, if you take his targets and you spread them out to the rest of the Packers, 
then they're obviously all going to go to Robert Tunyon. So <laughs> that's what I want. I think, isn't he going like the 12th? Like Robert Tunyon is going in like the 12th, right? Like, yeah, I'll no, he's, I'll he's going even later than that. Um, if you're going punt strategy, which I almost always do, I think he's a great option. Yeah, I just took him uh, in the 14th round of the NFL oh, beautiful. draft champions. Beautiful. Right? My tight end too. Yeah. He's going to get 65 targets this year, score 32 touchdowns. Come on, give him average, give him four more. Give him four more. Average 12 yards per game. It's going to be great. Um, no, I like, <laughs> I like, I like Tony quite a bit when I take Aaron Rodgers for some. Uh, well, mini some stack. Yeah. Yeah, some touchdowns. Mini stack. All right, last one, dude. Uh, Irv Smith um, had a pretty cast- catastrophic knee injury. You could talk way more about this, but my understanding based on reading is just like, it was a meniscus plus. Um, he's obviously super young. He came out of college really young. I think he's only 23 right now, which is crazy. I think he's, uh, yeah, I, he's, I know he's really yeah, super young. Yeah, I think he's, start, he's going to start the year at 24. So, right. Yeah. So he's only, what is that? Like a couple of years older than Amari Cooper. Um, so yeah, he is <laughs> specifically, <laughs> um, he, yeah. So this is a, he had a whole year to recover. You hope right. that these intraarticular issues don't continue to flare up, but they can. Um, once you have a meniscus, it's just a really crappy injury because it's an inside the joint injury, intraarticular injury, and he had it repaired. We're going to hope that doesn't lead to constant, frequent inflammation, constant, frequent, you know, issues. If you see that he's still on, cause he's going to have a full year to recover. Didn't this happen last year on training camp? Yeah, it did. Yeah. So if you're, if you're seeing him pop up on the injury report still in like September, and that bleeds into October and he's not doing much for you. I would just, I would not plan for him to, to really do much of, of, of all of anything like that. knee's not going to get any better as the season wears on, but I do think that there's been enough time that's passed to give him a little bit of, of some leeway there and a little bit of grace. If you want to sort of throw what well, I don't even know what race probably free at this point, isn't he? Maybe not yeah. quite free. No, he's going in the same range as, as Tunyon and like tight end 15 tight end 16 range. For what it's worth, man, I don't think enough people have really accounted for the fact that Tyler Conklin is gone. Uh, they mm. have nothing else at tight end. Like Conklin was mainly a blocker because Irv Smith was like the the, uh, the, the move guy. Uh, they don't even have Conklin anymore. Like they've got Ben Ellison, uh, who is apparently on the Jags practice squad, and Johnny Munt, who was on the Rams practice squad for like a million years. That's it. Uh, so they're going to be heavily relying on Irv Smith. Um yeah, he tore his Achilles, uh, tore his Achilles, tore his meniscus in August, late August of last year. So it was like two weeks before week one or a week before week one. Yeah. yeah. I would say that the biggest thing for the Vikings is that uh, Mike Zimmer is gone. So <laughs> um, I think that some, what was the quote? Dang it, Graham. Now that we're talking about Vikings, somebody's made one of the players had a quote that literally straight up called Zimmer out. And he said something like, yeah, we're not running an old school type of offer or something like that. Like we're not running a, um, an, an ancient offense or something like something. One of the players said something to that effect. And I said, Oh man, shots fired. Yeah. Well, Kevin O'Connell is uh, a McVeigh disciple. So ah, uh, yeah, the old McVeigh cupboard, the old McVeigh cupboard. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be another, Another one of these McVeigh disciples. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be the complete opposite of, uh, well, I don't know about complete opposite, but it's going to be a lot different than what we're accustomed to with, with this Vikings team. Uh, dude, this was awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Um, 
we talked through a lot of a lot of good stuff here. There's a lot of digest. Um, yeah, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, why don't you plug anything that you're you're working on specifically? I know we talked through the injury insights, which is free on Fantasy Points, but uh, you got anything cool coming down the barrel? Yeah, man, I'm working on my injury tiers. Just getting started on running backs. Going to hit running backs, receivers, and tight ends. And probably just do profiles for any quarterbacks that I think are relevant. But those injury tiers, I think they do okay. They get some clicks. I think people like to have a little bit more context in terms of relativity and where they should be viewing their position players from an injury perspective or performance perspective. They've done okay. The The verdict on these tiers over the last two years has been generally red light tier guys have been good to avoid and from a games missed perspective and or a performance perspective. And so you can check those out once they're published. It'll be a while. I'm uh, trying to get those done as quickly as possible. The last thing I'll say, Graham, Jamison Williams is not going to be ready by week one. I just need to get that across everybody. There was just an article published today confirming that fact. I've been saying it for the last several weeks. There's yeah. no such thing as a head of schedule when it comes to an ACL. Please stop saying that. The last yeah. thing I'm working on is get Graham to, um, I don't even know what, I don't have anything fancy. Like sign, sign this petition. I'll put it in the show notes to get Graham to finally get his ass up and come see me for <laughs> a, few, a few beers and some libations, him and his wife, um, wherever that may be, get it, get him off his ass, sign this petition. I'll I'm, put it in the show notes. I'm sorry. You're the one who always connects through Denver and then doesn't stop for bro drinks. You're the one who always flies through Denver to go back to Sacramento. So it's, it's, it's not, it's a two way street, my friend. It's two way street. All uh, right. No, all right. All right. Dude, thank you again. This has been awesome. Uh, if you were not signed up for fantasypoints.com, you should do so. You should use the code PORRAS22. That's P O R R A S 22. Save yourself 10% off a fantasy points subscription. Uh, that can work for a premium sub or a standard sub, whatever you want to go for for this season. Uh, save yourself 10%. Save yourself some smackers. Uh, I'm going to be back next week. I think I'm going to be doing a solo pod talking through like some rookie running backs and kind of like just the general overview of the class and kind of where things stand now for some filler. Uh, Scott and I will probably be back for a show next week as well. So be on the lookout for that. Guys, thanks for listening. I'm Graham for Edwin. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.